things you own end up owning you. So originally you're from New York, New York City or where? New York City. Yeah. No fucking way. Were you born yes. in New York City? I was born in New York City in the Upper Oh East my Island. god. How are well, you not 10 out of 10 crazy? That's in, that's insane. <laughs> so um yeah, it's a great question because it's been a really long strange trip. You know that song by the Grateful Dead? Of course. Such a good song. And I was thinking about it the other day when I woke up, I was like, man, it's been a really long strange trip. And it is a really long strange story. So mm-hmm. When I was a kid, my sister and I were pretty sick. I had ear infections and throat, sore throats and this and that and the other thing, sinus infections. She had sinus infections and her eyes crossed. She had to have a, you know, a strabismus release surgery as an infant. Oh, wow. And mom eventually was like, this is crazy. These regular doctors, like they just give us antibiotics. Then the kids don't get better. What are they mm-hmm. doing? Mm-hmm. And then she went to integrative and natural medicine where, you know, it's just pretty weird some of the time. What and was it at that time? What was considered integrative medicine in America at that time? Oh, great question. Um, homeopathy. Okay. Uh, and we went th- we went through homeopathy, dowsing, craniosacral therapy, chiropractics. Mm-hmm. We even did like traditional East Southeast Asian medicine, like coining and cupping. Wow. It was super weird for me as a little kid. And some combination of things we came out all right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, most kids outgrow their illnesses anyway. And, you know, we went on to have pretty normal standard run of the mill, like teenage lives and then college. Um, And in high school, I got really interested in health and wellness because she kept taking us to different people almost for no reason. And one of them became my mentor. He was a naturopath, self-trained, self-taught, very much like one of the people you would see on social media today, just like talking about just weird stuff like herbs, coffee enemas, you know, mm-hmm. if he was around today and I don't know, he's, he's, I think he's alive, but he's not, we're not in touch anymore. He would be like talking about all the stuff that we talk about, but you know how some people just talk and they just kind of make stuff up. Yeah. He oh, kind of yeah. did a lot of that. Yeah. And yeah, as yeah. I got older, it was like, this, it just doesn't seem mm-hmm. So right. I, I've had a similar journey as you, you know, like I've gone to like chiropractors and they're like, yeah, well, we're just going to pop this, adjust this. And your, your left hemisphere is going to turn on and, you know, and you're like, wait, what is it turned off? You know? So I know what you mean. <laughs> but the thing about that is that you can get unbelievably good results through that, either through some stuff that we still don't understand mm-hmm. and through the placebo effect. Right. So mm-hmm. I realized a lot of people are coming to me more than anything to be heard and to get some genuine empathy. And I didn't understand that when I decided to become a doctor. They don't talk about that in medical school. They are totally focused on here's the algorithm and this is this part of the algorithm, this is the other part of the algorithm. And mm-hmm. you know, we'll punish you if you don't follow the algorithm, this whole, you know, thing. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, that mentorship later ended when I was almost done with my training, but he pushed me to go through med school and residency and the whole thing. And I just really could see that there was value in natural and integrative medicine. And then I obviously saw and realized the value in conventional medicine. And I just went through a lot of training in both worlds and with a very jaundiced, skeptical eye, knowing that a lot of it was total and complete hooey 
And that, to be honest with you, is okay. Everyone can make mistakes. Everyone can fall for nonsense. We're all going to have that happen to us. The best thing for me in my career has been to understand that the most important thing for me to be able to do is what I call eat humble pie Hmm. and own my mistakes as a clinician, which a lot of clinicians never do. You see them out there talking about how great what they're doing is and has always been and will always be Mm -hmm. just like, wow, you don't like, you never talk about your mistakes. I think talking about mistakes is fascinating. You know, in fact, it's like the only thing that's kind of interesting, you know, Mm -hmm. the successes are like, I I have to force myself to focus on the successes. Otherwise I kind of run out of steam, but it's the mistakes that are like, wow, those were really good lessons. They're so interesting to talk about too. Yeah. Yeah, And as a practitioner, it makes you better, I think. Right. Because if you're the guy that's always like, yeah, I just, okay, come here. I'm going to fix you up. I, I know what I'm doing. Those people, you see them when they're like 65 and they're just sort of like, it's the same run of the mill thing that they do to every single person. And the ones that are just always kind of questioning things, even their own belief, Mm -hmm. those are the, those are the ones that are like, you know, they're doing good stuff, I think. And like you said, and it's, it's such a great thing to eat that humble pie. I'm with you, man. But humble pie is funny, right? It's the mm-hmm. kind of thing you make on Sunday and you're like, I'm going to have this throughout the week. And <laughs> I'm making just enough. And then, you know, it gets kind of pushed to the back of the fridge and you're like, oh, you know that humble pie? Well, yeah, right now. I think I'm going to have some uh, ice cream right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Know? I'll have it on my Wednesday. Friend, yeah, my friend yeah. just asked me to go out to dinner. You know, I'm going to go out to dinner. And then like Friday <laughs> comes around, that humble pie, it smells a little funny. Mm-hmm. You have to eat it because you made it. Or maybe you throw it out. But if you throw it out, you regret it later. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So did you have a moment kind of, or was this a gradual process? Did you have a sort of unplugging from the matrix moment that got you thinking like, oh, wait, maybe, maybe this happens on both sides on the conventional side. Maybe doctors are just doing stuff and the patients yeah. get better. And on yeah. the alternative side, maybe p- doctors are doing their stuff and patients are just getting better on their own too. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of it, you know, I'll never forget the day in residency where one of the physicians who I respected the most, he told us this funny saying, he said, he said, when I was in residency, they taught me this, a quarter of your patients are going to get better no matter what you do. A quarter of your patients are going to get better in spite of what you do. A quarter of your patients are going to get worse no matter what you do. Hmm. And a quarter of your patients are going to get worse because of what you do. <laughs> I remember thinking like, let's very, you know, like, wow. Therapy. Yeah, I mean, have you ever heard of, you know what therapeutic nihilism is? Sure, but could you explain it to us? Sure. Yeah, for those of you in the audience who don't know what therapeutic nihilism is, it's the idea that nothing that we do therapeutically matters, and it's all just going to happen according to the you know laws of inertia of the universe as they're already set in motion. And there's a lot of truth to that, because patients have this idea like, oh, like, you know, oh, my knee hurts today. Ah, the problem started today. No, 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 no. The problem started like 10 or 15 years ago when you learned to deadlift incorrectly because you picked the wrong like gym teacher or bro to instruct you in the deadlift. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's so hard for people. I mean, that's why they they go to professionals who can figure out where in the past the mistake occurred so that they can understand what happened. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, yes, there was a very there were some very specific moments The first moment was when I realized that my first mentor was just very unhinged from reality and that, yes, he could give people some therapeutic value, but he was very just delusional about his own abilities. 
Mm-hmm. And that was tough for me because I realized that I'd allowed myself to get fooled by him. Mm-hmm. I met him when I was very impressionable, very young, you know, mm-hmm. he became very, we became very close. Um, and, you know, a lot of what he like recommended is not like bad advice, you know, drinking unfluoridated water, eating wholesome, healthy, real food, going outside, getting sunlight. But, you know, that like it's there's way more to good therapeutics than just that bread and butter stuff. Like anyone can run around on Instagram and Twitter and like mouth off about the benefits of wholesome, healthy living. And I applaud those who do mm-hmm. real hard to make a living that way from what I can tell. But, you know, <laughs> it, you, you want to really professionally consult with people, you better bring more to the table than that, I think. Mm-hmm. And so that moment was very humbling. And then, you know, I went through all my conventional training, um, lots of ups and downs there, lots of moments where I thought, wow, you know, I'm so impressed by what we were able to do today with this patient. Mm-hmm. You know, we saved this person's life with just basic ER, ICU, hospital medicine. Um, and then moments where I saw therapeutics that I didn't think were going to work, do amazing things. Like, for example, there's this monoclonal antibody called rituximab that wipes out your body's B cells, which if you don't know, are the cells that produce antibodies in your body. And this is like half of your um, adaptive immune response. You can wipe it out with a drug. And when they told me about this drug, I was like, that seems crazy. You mean to tell me we're going to wipe out half of somebody's immune system and nothing is going to go wrong? It's like, imagine someone comes to like the president of a country is like, hey, listen, we're going to scrap your entire Navy and everything's going to be fine. We're going to be it's all right. Like, are you sure? Like no one's going to show up and like, uh-huh. you know, I don't know, jack the presidential yacht or I don't know, steal some important infrastructure. Like then we can't do anything about it. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, there's little moments where like that, where I'm like, wow, that therapeutic is awesome. Like if I had that cancer or that chronic disease, I'm like, I would totally go with some allopathic options mm-hmm. for that. And then of course there's, op- there's moments where it's like, wow, our treatment for that is terrible. I would mm-hmm. never do what they're telling the patients to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so were, how, how was that? How was that? <laughs> so you were already sort of questioning these things as you're going through your training and stuff. How well, that was the toughest thing psychologically for me to deal with was the yeah. fact that my mentor was a naturopath. And I told him, I said, look, I think I want to go to naturopathic medical school. And he said, none of the ones in the United States are worth it. And you come out with no real licensure to do anything that that's then. Is that now? Because, okay, that's what I was going to say. That's because it was then. That's how it was. Cause now it's like tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. And they've got some states in which they're basically on par with physicians, at least in primary care. Mm-hmm. Arizona so, being one of them. I think California is yeah. sort of some areas. In Washington and Oregon, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So then uh, I, 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 in some respects, I wish I'd gone to chiropractic school because the, the physicians I get along with the best are the chiropractors. Mm. But then there's, and I see your face. I, mm-hmm. I know what you're thinking mm-hmm. because the reality is like, a lot of what the chiropractors talk about and preach doesn't make sense to me with what I know about the human body, which mm-hmm. isn't to say that there's not therapeutic value in going to a chiropractor. Like some of my closest friends are chiropractors and my favorite patients are chiropractors. But I think that there's a lot of, I mean, there's just a lot of mediocrity in chiropractic medicine. And I think to be honest with you, most of them would, would, would admit that. And it's not any, any more or less the case than any other 
field of medicine. And the cool thing about a chiropractic degree is that you don't have to do all the miserable stuff that I had to do, like staying up overnight in the ER and the ICU and whatever, <laughs> but you come out with a, with a degree and you can actually treat patients and lay hands on them, which is nice. And you can also go into all the stuff that I really do as a sort of standard fare in my practice now, which is light therapy, um, circadian rhythms, healthy lifestyle, healthy eating, nutritional counseling, supplements, things like that. So that's so, also um, changing. So they can yeah. they can do supplements and stuff like that now because it's also been like all over the place with the licensing stuff, like what they can do, they can't do anymore. It's when I was sort I, of get, getting into that stuff, yeah. all they could do was just order some tests and stuff for you. They couldn't really prescribe things. And mm, but that's how the, it is. The now. interesting thing right now is that the the like the internet is changing the face of how medicine is practiced. Mm -hmm. Like if tomorrow I wanted to completely give up my license and totally go zero liability insurance and just be a person you can talk to on zoom. I could just tell you what labs to order and what website to go to order them. And there's a doctor ready to fill your order for you. Like you're checking out from the grocery store. Mm -hmm. That's not how it used to be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're, they were, or, or probably are limited in certain States still, but it's such a minor limitation that they have. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, there's so many workarounds it's un unbelievable. Sort of like, you know, like I do that here in California. We have direct labs. I can just go and get a test right. whatever I want. Now, is that the same with every state or are you saying there's other ways of doing it too now? Because no, there's pretty even, much, yeah. there's direct to consumer labs, coast to coast, multiple companies. You just have to know where to look. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you, do? so, okay. You have a patient that comes to you. Do you have a, standard thing that you order first you know everybody uh, no okay no that's, way that's very refreshing to hear <laughs> yeah well you know i think that there's a real insensitivity to the fact that everyone's in truly a different place in life mm -hmm. and i like to try and figure out where somebody is before i just start running around presuming that i know what testing they need mm -hmm. and one of the things that bothers me about the world of testing is the degree to which people will order lab tests without realizing how much stuff that they are already going to do is going to change the lab tests. Like if somebody comes to you and they live in, you know, Waukesha, Wisconsin, and they, um, I think it's Waukesha actually now that I think it's a very about. specific place you chose, by the way, have you been there? Or it is. I don't know why I picked it, but it did. So let's say that you, they're coming to you from Wisconsin, right? And they've never taken a vitamin D supplement. They live indoors and they never go outside. Mm -hmm. They don't eat any fish. Are you really going to order a vitamin D level? It's yeah. going to be low. <laughs> There's no suspense here. It's going okay. to be low. So don't order it. Put okay. the patient on an appropriate supplementation regimen. Mm -hmm. I go through that in my guide to vitamin D optimization over on my sub stack. If people want the whole song and dance on that okay. and then check it and make sure that you put them into the optimal range. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But people will do that with like one lab test after another. And it's one of the things that really ground my gears when patients were coming to see me. Like I used to just take, you know, anyone who wants to schedule with me, just go ahead, book my calendar. Mm -hmm. And part of the problem was people would say, well, I want to do labs first. And I said, no, I need to really get to know you first. And they say, yeah, but getting to know you is expensive. And I rather mm. just skip to the labs part. And I'm like, okay, I kind of get that. All right. <laughs> I respect that. Uh, but that's why I created a different system in my practice where now, uh, for example, we do group coaching programs where I can kind of get to know them and their situation, their context, because so much of getting well is actually being coached, mm -hmm. being coached into a better frame of mind, a better daily routine, a better 
you know, it's like ridiculous the amount of. I just, would almost argue it's more that just like the, the physical therapy. It's 100%. not. It's not yeah. me giving you three exercises to do three times a week. It's really like figuring this thing out, like you said, getting to know you, getting you in the habit of thinking about these things. Sometimes, as as uncomfortable as it may be for some people, which which is kind of crazy that we're at this point where people are uncomfortable to even think about their own bodies. Right? It's just like, yeah, just give me the thing. Just give me this. I don't like, think though that this is like a new problem. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I, I think agree it's with you. just part of the human condition. People are yeah. very focused on what they get used to focusing on. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then when illness appears, which is really the body trying to get their attention about something that's wrong with what they're doing or how they're doing it, mm -hmm. there's a reluctance to look at the thing they don't want to look at. Because um, there's so many emotional dimensions to why we do what we do. You know, it's funny to go back to the knee pain deadlift strategy um, analogy that I used earlier, people have all these emotions about the things they do and the way that they learn them. And they may have this really strong attachment to that guy who taught them to deadlift wrong. And it just really bothers them that he could have been so incredibly wrong. And so they just don't want to look at it. It's like the humble pie that they don't want to eat at the back of the fridge. It's like, no, 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 we're just going to let it go bad and then throw it out. Yeah. That's kind of what happens with a lot of people with their joints. No, we're just going to, you know, Ride it until the bearings fall out and then, you know, get new ones. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so it goes. And it's tough. It's tough. So so what do you do then? Do you just chat with people, literally have conversations with them? You have a sort of list of questions that you have them fill out and answer or? Yeah. Great question. So at this point, when people, and we're currently like transforming the practice into one that's much more sustainable for people. Most people are, you know, coming into functional medicine, most of the functional medicine practitioners, the, the model is bill a high amount of time of, of money per time, have long consultations with a limited number of people, but then anyone who's got even half a brain in functional medicine is good enough to be booked out three to six months. I mean, you have to be really either bad or totally new like fresh off the functional medicine training pipeline, wherever that is, mm -hmm. uh, to not be really busy. There's so much interest, so much um, drive among and amongst the public to get this kind of care. Mm -hmm. um, but because of that, it's really hard to take care of everybody. And so what I found is that people started to book further and further out. I couldn't take care of them all. I couldn't answer all their emails. I couldn't answer all their chat portal messages. Hiring you know, staff is like, what do you have them do? I can't have them answer complex medical questions via email for me so they can help with other things. And then I, you have to like train them in anything else you want them to do. But basically what I decided to do was to create a system where people could kind of get the best of both worlds. And what they get with the model I created was an, is an annual plan where they, they have initial intake with my nurse practitioner or PA mm -hmm. that nurse practitioner or PA talks to me about the case. I give them an opinion and my impression, my recommendations. They then take that back to the patient. The patient has contact with my nursing staff over the course of the year in between those appointments. It's set up for quarterly lab draws for them to go over those one-on-one -on -one with the nurse practitioner or the PA. Mm -hmm. But then what really makes it work is that we have group coaching calls that they can book with me whenever is convenient for them. They jump on with a bunch of other people. They get any of their questions answered. And I started to do this when I realized that the vast majority of people are perfectly comfortable about talking about their health and wellness in most respect in front of other people. 
They don't want to talk about their hemorrhoids or their, you know, bedroom problems amongst or in front of other people. But the reality with most of those issues is they don't require, you know, some crazy amount of functional medicine knowledge to address, um, at least in most cases. And so most of the problems that people are dealing with can actually be addressed in group coaching. And they get a ton out of hearing the questions other people ask. Because what I found was 90% of people need to hear 90% of the same stuff to get Mm -hmm. 90% of the value. And so the group coaching sessions, we just did this with a thyroid program that started in late February or early March, and people just raved about it. And I spent one hour with these people going over their comprehensive labs. And what was wonderful about it is that because they'd already done group coaching with me, a lot of the stuff in the labs... And a lot of the recommendations I made to them, they either were already on top of it, and I didn't have to spend a lot of time explaining it. So we actually got to really tailor their care to them in a much more, in a very, in a superior way. And they ultimately got way more time, like listening to me, hearing me talk to people who had similar problems to them, similar issues, uh, how to deal with those issues. So everyone's been really, really happy. It's probably the greatest like patient satisfaction I've ever had. Do you feel like uh, people in, get in more out of it having other people there to chat with? Don't you feel like people yes. enjoy that? I feel like people enjoy yes. that, even though maybe some don't want to admit that, but I feel like there's something there where- There is. A, there's a community aspect to it. There's an accountability aspect to it. There's mm-hmm. kind of like a troubleshooting aspect to it. And that's what I want to create. I want to create more of a community within my practice where people meet each other, they network, they you know get connected on social media since it's all pretty much virtual- um, I'd love to have more in-person stuff, but it's so disparate now. You know, we have people flying to see us now from all over the country to establish care so they can be in the annual plans. So um, that's the model I've created. And it's also created around the questions that I found were most impactful over the course of someone's care. So I created a series of, of questionnaires that really, uh, one of my favorite components of this is the the Nemogen questionnaire. Do you know the Nemogen questionnaire? No, I don't. It's one of the only actual well-studied evidence-based um, questionnaires for a hyperventilation syndrome, mm-hmm. which I deal with all the time. And we have lots of people who come in and we will find out that their respiratory rate is, you know, 17, 18, 19 because of their aura ring data. And what we find is that people tend to be in a most robust state of health when their respiratory rate is more in the low teens, you know, 12s, 13s type picture. And so I use that as a screening tool to figure out, okay, who do we really need to look at breathing mechanics? Who do we really need to look at, say, bowel function if they're not moving their bowels? That's not on the nemogen questionnaire, by the way. But there's other questions like how often are you moving your bowels? How much do you drink in a given day? You know, what kind of food are you eating? What's your exercise routine? All the things that I found that, frankly, I missed at some point along the way in some case that later came back to haunt me. Like a patient actually gave me a hard time recently. I emailed him because I was wondering how he was doing. I hadn't heard from him in like a year. And he said, basically like, yeah, I was kind of underwhelmed by your service because you missed like mold toxicity in my building. And I was like, I don't take that personally. Frankly, any clinician at some point in their career is going to miss mold toxicity. And if we were really totally as on mold toxicity as we probably maybe should be, a lot of you patients would just think we were crazy. For thinking there was mold out there making you that sick. Uh, but that's the problem with mold is it'll just hide everywhere, get this massive infestation, uh, and you build buildings and you feel so much better. 
Anyway, so let's talk about that though, because it's such a sure. big problem. I think. Well, well, how do you? Okay, now is there a test? Is there a company? Is there one spot that you prefer send people to when it comes to like even just questioning, like, hey, maybe I have mold in my house or something or whatever they live. The number one thing for me is actually first making sure that they're spending time outside. Because the reality that I notice with people who end up with really serious problems from mold toxicity is they're all super indoor people. And then they go to work and they work all day indoor and then they come home and they work all day at home. And then when they go out, they go in another indoor place. And then it's like, oh, I went on a jog once a week last Tuesday or whatever. I know. And that's the other thing they don't realize is, and this is in the blind spot of a lot of mold practitioners. They don't ever talk about light. They don't, a lot of them don't even talk about EMF. But the reality is that your environment, let's say you find mold in someone's house. And let's say that it is just, we know it's making them all really sick. Like it's a genuinely mold damaged building. Okay, sure. But, you know, what about the contribution to their illness from the high tension power line behind their house? Or the fact that they sleep right next to a smart meter? Or the fact that they don't know any better and they sleep with the Wi-Fi router right under their bed? Or the fact that, they wear sunglasses all the time and their light eyes never see any light to actually set their circadian rhythms mm-hmm. or the fact that they have flipped their circadian rhythms in their sleep wake cycle because they just like playing video games at night. I mean, there's so many things that people don't realize when you move somebody out of the moldy house, you're not just moving them out of the moldy house. You're completely disrupting their life. And then it gets into even more stuff. Like what if, you know, they move out of the moldy house that they were living in with grandma and they don't really understand that grandma is a really toxic person and a complete narcissist. And she was driving them totally and completely insane. And their bipolar disorder gets better. Um, and they think it's because they got out of the moldy environment, but really they're just far away from grandma. I mean, the, one of the things that's blown my mind about learning about personality disorders, which is something I've gotten into more over the last year, is that the toxic behaviors of people in the cluster, I think it's cluster B personality disorders, narcissists, psychopaths, and sociopaths. Mm-hmm. The way they treat other people is literally called crazy making behavior. And when you hang out with these people for long enough, you are like, yeah, you know, these people are driving me nuts. <laughs> I don't know how I can take it anymore. I feel yeah, like I'm yeah. going out of my mind. And I remember, I realized that going through medical training, I was surrounded by these people. Mm. It's a very normal thing. And a lot of times they're drawn to uh, uh, professions like that, aren't they? (laughs) That's just it. And that's part of the problem with medicine is that narcissists, psychopaths, they're drawn to it. Mm -hmm. In some ways, that's, there's some benefit to society for that. It's actually a really good thing if your surgeon, I mean, it's sort of a good thing if your surgeon is to say a total psychopath and he doesn't flinch when he's really close to your optic Mm -hmm. nerve because he's just not he just doesn't care if he ruins Mm -hmm. your ability to see or walk or whatever he's not going to do that because he's a psychopath and he cares about his porsche or his ferrari or his benz or his trophy wife or his Mm -hmm. fancy house but Mm -hmm. you know it's but we need those people yeah because you need people that stay up all night and work in the er and yeah i i totally agree with you i get it there's there's definitely a a a need for those people yeah which kind of makes sense yeah you just want to not have too much to do with them mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> you don't want to live with them in a moldy house as you said eh? <laughs> or any house <laughs> so so yeah so like with all things there's there's lots of 
you know, layers yeah. to, to any disease or anything. But so to get back to the mold thing, so do you have people test for mold? Because I went through this maybe 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. I got the test. I ordered the mycotoxin. Back then, that lab was called Great Lakes or yeah. Great Plains. Great Plains. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. See, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Since then, they've changed it. And I don't know. Honestly, I didn't get much out of it. It was like, yeah, my levels are a little bit higher, but I right. don't know. And then now I think the, the test is maybe four or $500, which is pretty fucking expensive for the average person that's trying to figure out if their house is moldy or not. I know. So I don't yeah. know. Do, do you find a usefulness for uh, a, 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 you know, a reason to use those things? Or do you think it's just better for the people just to change their environment, get outside first, sort of cover the basics? Yeah. It's always a conversation about where are they? What do they need? How fast do they need it? Mm-hmm. If someone says, look, I'm broken, I will do whatever it takes. I'll sleep in my car. I'll climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I'll dive to the deepest depths of the oceans. Just tell me what to do. I'm ready to go. I would, and they really wanted to know if their house was making them sick. And when I, when I am trying to figure out if someone's got thick building syndrome, the things I'm asking are, is anyone else sick? Particularly people who stay in the house with you 24 hours a day. Like mm-hmm. the first person to get sick in a moldy house is going to be the stay-at-home mom. Now, if it's not a stay-at-home mom, it's a stay-at-home dad, right? Well, the stay-at-home dad gets sick first, right? But men are a little bit more bulletproof than women. It's part of why we wear out earlier. And so he might not get sick. She might get sick. But if everybody's gotten sick at the same time, it's a really big clue, right? Mm-hmm. And if an illness coincided with a change in domicile, that's a big clue that something's wrong with the domicile or people in the domicile or the job that's associated with the dom. I mean, you know, you get the idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then questions like, you know, what's the state of the house? Is it in good repair? Have you had it inspected recently? Because it's very easy to just say to someone, look, it's good housekeeping to have your house inspected, to have your HVAC system looked at, to have a mold inspector drop by. The last thing we want to do is miss this because it also really impacts the value of your home. So the last thing you want to do is blow this off. And in two, three, four years, when you're trying to cash out all this equity you've built in your house, have the inspector drop by before you sell it and have them say, oh yeah, you got a $100,000 mold problem that if you'd caught it you know, years ago would have been a $1,000 mold problem, right? I just explain this to patients as good housekeeping, smart, common sense stuff that frankly nobody tells them about like when I bought my first home I uh the air conditioning unit stopped one day and I called the air conditioning company because I don't know anything about air conditioning units and they came out and they were like oh you need to have this line flushed every once in a while um and you just didn't know that and I'm like yeah no one told me that when I moved in here I just you know assumed the air conditioning unit would work forever I guess Mm -hmm. and people do that and if you're doing that right now it's not a good strategy and you should probably get your house inspected and make sure that it's not like full of insects or mold or or animals so, that you don't even mold know about. inspector or ermi <clears throat> test or mycotoxin all of the ermi that's the one i prefer an actual inspector just a whatever city inspector or whatever whoever you find is there a place you find them there's not a great single service yes. for identifying your professional. That's a great, a great <laughs> That's problem. why I'm asking you because I'm no, like, I know, I've, I know. I've been there, done that. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. I've Maybe had I know people better. hire three different inspectors and have only one of them find the problem. Oh, God. You so know, frustrating. That, so frustrating. It is frustrating. But yeah. that's where I start to get into other things. Like, hey, do you feel better when you spend more time outside? Oh, mm-hmm. you do. Okay. Well, the other thing about that, though, is everyone feels better when they spend more time outside. 
So then the question is, well, you know, is there any way for you to spend more time outside anyway? And so if that's a yes, then great. You can also bring the outside inside, open the doors, open the windows, create some outdoor or semi-outdoor living spaces, mm -hmm. change how you're ventilating your house. Little things like that can make a really big difference. I think that the way, you know, unless people remain really mired in the current stupidity of architectural paradigms, they're going to realize that they need to create healthy homes. There's so many problems with the modern American home from the perspective of how it impacts your health that it, it is so hard for me to find a house that I even remotely want to live in. Yeah, I almost yep. would rather live in a vacant lot than the average American home. And people listening to this may be like, well, yeah, like, why? Like, what's so bad? And it's just like, I know too much. You know, the but crazy thing is that it's it's such a bigger uh, problem in America versus in like Europe. Is or... it? Yes, yes. And I think it's huh. just a age of the country kind of thing meaning like i think so yes because it, it, you know like even even just how things are made you know growing huh. up in russia like i would not hear a fucking neighbor around me i don't hear anyone around me because things are just made to be to to last with that brutal russian winter and stuff like that and i think the material was really? more real yes and in america it's just every single time it's almost hard to find a home that's well built doesn't have a mold problem or hasn't had one ever I really, and, and I've talked to other doctors and they say the same thing. They're like, yeah, in Europe, it, this stuff is way less common and it's, it happens way more well, often you know in America. What I wonder about, I wonder if it has to do with how our housing market became commoditized. Because when you think about it, ultimately a bunch of fat cats got together, I don't know how long ago and said, hey, if we make it the thing for everyone to buy a house on credit that we then collect the payments on, mm -hmm. uh, we can like make an enormous amount of money or very little risk because the last thing they're going to do is let their mortgage payments fall behind. Right. And that's how we got to the 2008 mm -hmm. boondoggle. Mm -hmm. And arguably that whole problem hasn't even been truly remedied. And that's why we have spiraling inflation out of control in this country recently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I'm, it had a big, I'm sure it has a huge influence on that. Because there's no yeah. incentive to like really double down on good materials when the public doesn't understand the value. No, I mean, they keep getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Well, the materials are, you know, but yeah. Yeah, and the way that they make it and how they put it together and just all kinds of corners get cut and it's not corners you really want to cut. But the, I mean, I guess that's sort of like a sad, look, sad it's, testament. Yeah, yeah, but look, it's, I mean, not, yeah, not to, you know, bitch or complain about it. It's just somebody needs to, it needs to be reworked. It's just like the same thing with like, let's say how our food system is sure. uh, monitored, right? Pesticides right. and glyphosate and here versus other countries that have been doing it for years and already, you know, banned certain chemicals and pesticides, mm -hmm. et cetera. And here they're probably going to take another 50 years before they even like, hmm, maybe we should take this out of the food supply. I don't think it's going to take 50 years. You think it's going to be sooner or what? I think there's a real revolution in the way people behave, think, and operate in this country coming. I think it's going to be a very exciting next couple of decades. I love it. Because the simple fact of the matter is, I mean, I remember when I, when people on the left would not stop shrieking about glyphosate and Roundup and GMOs. And then, you know, the last two or three years, like a lot of people in the conservative movement are like, hey, wait a minute, like the same people <laughs> telling us we all need to take the same medication or like also the major shareholders of the company that's growing our food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they find it very suspicious. And so there's a real awakening amongst the public in general that they've been taken advantage of by large corporations and cahoots with the governments. 
with the government in many different ways. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, more and more people are interested in what I'm doing as a functional medicine doc, a natural med- medicine doctor, whatever you want to call it. I think my business card actually says natural and holistic medicine. But however you want to brand it, because ultimately those are just branding terms. People want something that's sort of like old-fashioned in a way that's kind of new-fashioned. Mm-hmm. They, they want like the old-timey country farmhouse <laughs> that's made with a, an understanding of modern circadian biology. Yeah. You know what I mean? And maybe I know what you mean. I love that. I, that's I, what I, I want. No, no, no. I think it's coming, but coming. I just don't know. I don't, I'm hoping I'm, I'm it's, it's, maybe I'm being a little bit, do you feel like the last couple of years had something to do with that too? I feel like 100%. that. Yeah. Things just got too crazy. This is like that yeah. moment in the, in the, in the, at 2 30 3 o'clock in the morning when the party just got a little bit too off the hook and everyone's like whoa what happened? <laughs> we were all just having a good time 30 minutes ago and then things got really weird can yeah. we get back to just having a good time yeah. um who knows what's going to happen with all that but you know that's what we're trying to create with a, i mean what i'm trying to create in my practice is a practice where people get really great medical care it's not the traditional stuffy overbearing insufferable medical model and paradigm and you get really cutting edge information that's also looking back at what's most important historically. Like a magnesium test, a serum magnesium test is a really simple test. It's one of the oldest tests we have in medicine, but it's actually one of the tests that tracks best with your risk of death. And yet most doctors are not running it on a regular basis for their patients. We run it, I mean, I'll run it every quarter until we get it into a good range because I want to know where it is. And the same thing with things like vitamin D or high sensitivity CRP, if you need them, your hormone levels, which, you know, I had such a funny story come to me from a patient recently. He went to his doctor and he said, I'd like to have my testosterone checked because Dr. Stillman recommended it. And I want to see if my insurance will cover it. And the doctor says, well, I don't think you need that. And he (laughs) says, look, you know, I know that you may think that, but I really want to check it. And the doc says, well, your insurance may not cover it. He tries to like stop him. And he says, look, I don't care what it costs. I don't care if insurance doesn't cover it. Just please order the test for me. And his testosterone comes back low. And then they re- and the doctor has the, has the gall to come back to him and say, well, it's a good thing we decided to check your testosterone. <laughs> and he's like, I think you mean it's a good uh, thing that I insisted that you order the testosterone test. Uh, Jesus and then he, he goes back to the guy because he's like, well, we got to confirm that your testosterone is really truly low. And so he goes back to him and they retested and sure enough, he's low. Mm. So it's a real case of actual low testosterone levels mm. that just slipped completely past the medical paradigm. Mm-hmm. And so we're just trying to be the answer to that. Now, do you think, yeah, how is that? Do you think those sort of guys like that, this doctor that you're talking about, yeah. do you think they're, do you think they are going to listen and slowly change? Or do you think there's just going to be a whole new maybe more people will create sort of a whole system like you have. Have you ever heard what Max Planck said about how science Mm-mm. progresses? Not sure. Do you know who Max Planck was? Sounds Nobel, familiar, but I... Nobel laureate in physics, yeah, um, but... right yeah. on alongside like Einstein and Niels Bohr and all the other greats of quantum physics in the 1920s and 30s. He said, uh, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, science does not progress because old scientists are proven wrong and admit their mistakes. It progresses because old scientists die and are replaced by young scientists who are familiar with new ideas. Mm. So that's sometimes shortened into science advances one funeral at a time. 
I've heard which is that. Why I've I heard find, that. <laughs> yeah, which is why I find the phrase "the science is settled" to be absolutely so hilarious. I mean, the science is just waiting to be like buried so that new paradigms can replace it. That's literally what's going on. Mm-hmm. And but, do you think, as far as the entire medical system, you think that's going to start changing, or is there a way to change it, or is just going to be a new system that pops up? It's because it's such a as you know, complex and just insanely fucked up. For is, yeah. <laughs> well, do you know the word you're looking for? The word you're looking for is Byzantine. <laughs> Byzantine. There you go. That's great. <laughs> do you realize the irony? Way more clever. Of, yes. Of why that word is apropos of the current medical system? I mean, <laughs> the Byzantine fun. Empire was literally the rump empire of the greatest empire of the ancient Mediterranean world, I think. Mm-hmm. And that word Byzantine in modern English means it's hopelessly complicated. It's ridiculously um, uh, 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 hard to navigate, hard to find things, hard to get what you need, so bad that it almost has to collapse for anything better to show up. So I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that people are disintermediating the old system. And once there's no one left to keep the old system going, what is it going to do? I mean, at the end of the day, the insurance companies, they have to have someone paying their bills. If small business owners are saying, look, we don't want insurance. We want everyone to be like a 1099 and you all go out and buy a healthcare sharing ministry or you don't have insurance at all. Where are they going to get their customers? And if the government doesn't have anyone paying you know, income taxes, because they're doing things like bartering and disintermediating the system that way, how are they going to keep up the tax revenue? I mean, the, the this gets into economic things that are probably not in our wheelhouse, but I mean, like just looking at the finances of the government, like they can't keep this charade going. There's no way they can print enough money. And even if they did, the money would be worthless because there would be too much of it. So they have to either rein in entitlements. They have to like create free market systems to deliver value with where people are demanding, you know, or eventually people will just, I mean, do something radical to get rid of the old system. I don't and, want and to. You, you mentioned the is. ministries and um, I got that out of your book, um, which is great. And, um, you know, say you have somebody that has been stuck with that old model, just a normal person. And they kind of want to get out of that paying yeah. insurance, whatever, yeah. whatever godly amount of money it is nowadays. Where would you recommend them start? What what would you tell them to do? Google healthcare sharing ministries. Mm-hmm. Ignore all of the hit pieces on them that have been authored by the mainstream media that will undoubtedly rise to the top of the Google feed. <laughs> Go to the healthcare sharing ministries, read their fine print, understand why they're cheaper. And then if it's right for you, make it happen. Because the reality is that part of how the healthcare sharing, the healthcare sharing ministries save money in two ways. Number one, they don't cover care for non-biblical lifestyle choices. So that means that if you get syphilis or gonorrhea because you went out and had non-traditional you know, or, or outside of marital sex, they're not going to pay for your antibiotics or your urgent care visit. And that can turn into a lot of money really fast because it can be more than just a little you know, gonorrhea and syphilis. And you, you know, for that, you just need a couple doses of antibiotics. It can be life long illnesses that create a lot of cost mm-hmm. um some of which i mean which are you know variously treatable without getting into that too much but there's other things that are 
like for example, excessive alcohol use. Like if you go on a bender and you wind up in the ER and then you have a quarter of a million dollar hospital bill because during your bender you had a complex facial laceration, you had to have the plastic surgeon come stick you up, stitch you up, and you know you had to be in the ICU because you injured your airway and you couldn't breathe right. I mean, they might not pay for that. I would read the fine print and make sure what their status was on that because I don't know. And they're all going to be different. But that's one of the ways they save money. The other way they save money is they just go to the hospital and they just say, hey, listen, guys, we don't have that much money. So uh, do you want to get paid today or do you want to like drag this out and maybe make us go bankrupt and then you get nothing? And the hospitals are like, well, you know, when you put it that way, I guess we'll just take the money that you got now. And that's part of why when people come out, I mean, I love, I love people, but Americans are really funny in the sense that they've forgotten that everything in life is a negotiation. You go to the third world and you tell somebody what your rates are to be like, oh yeah, listen, you know, can I get a discount? <laughs> in America, people are like, well, you can't do that. Like imagine going to Starbucks being like, hey, listen, you know, that latte looks real good, but I only got 350 and that's 455. Can, can you cut me a deal? Like it just doesn't happen, right? Right. But you can do that with the hospital. You can do that with the urgent care. Because at the end of the day, the guy running the urgent care in the hospital is like, wow, like we got to make rent. We got all these expenses. We got payroll. You know, these insurance companies, they're paying us like three months in arrears. And they're taking have to take out another like small business Ugh. loan, which is going to cost us an arm and a leg because of the interest rates. So they want to cut deals to get paid today for work they did and money they spent weeks ago. And as soon as the consumer realizes that, it's like, huh, this $5 Tylenol, what if I offer them five cents? And then you get them to take your offer of five cents and you're going to think, what if I'd offer them one cent? Would they have taken that? <laughs> I think, uh, and so, you know, Peter, the... you know, Peter Itia, you know, that doctor. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. He, I think he just posted a thing. He was, he took his son to the ER. I think he was like having breathing problems and they just, just ran a standard blood test, you know, I know, I right. I think gave him some antibiotics. You know how much, how much they charge him? $6,000, $6,000. Dude, I, it's just like $6,000 for, for so just running. Ugh. Ridiculous. And I'll be honest with you, man. I like Peter Atia's work in a lot of ways mm -hmm. but the i mean the the reality is that i feel like guys like him who are still in academia they're just making too many excuses for the system mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i can't sleep at night in that system it's too bad it's too toxic and it really bothers me how none of them are out there saying we need to let people be free. We need to let them make their own decisions. We need to deregulate the market and let, let it sort itself out. It'll be fine. Freedom is good. Liberty is what this is really fundamentally a problem of. But man, there's just a lot of comfortable people in the healthcare system at the top of that Byzantine structure, making a lot of money and enjoying a lot of success and a lot of clout and not talking about how because the simple reality, when I look at the economics of my practice, is we can take phenomenally good care of people for like $1,500 to $2,000 a year for the whole family. And people mm -hmm. are like, how are your plans so cheap? And I'm like, because I set it up in a smart way and I'm not price gouging all of you, like literally everyone else is. And that's how I keep it cheap. And it's possible. I mean, that's the crazy thing about healthcare and wellness is that every other thing in a capitalist economy gets cheaper every single year. Like you get a better phone for the same price because it's better. And the old phone that you wanted is literally 
so outmoded that it you, like you can't buy it because it would be too cheap and no one would make any money off of it. Healthcare is the opposite. And that's the thing is if you just unleash the forces of the free market, it'll all sort itself out. I love what you're saying, man. I love yeah. what you're saying. I know you're short on time, so we're going to yeah. cut this, right? You got stuff to we do. do. I got to run. Maybe we'll do this again another time. Thank you so much. I would for love time, to, man. man. Great seeing you. You too. Things you own end up owning you.